Let's start the show. Let's start the show. It's time to start the music. It's time to set the lights. The Muppet Show theme song. Oh, okay. Well, groundbreaking American cinema. Uh, yeah. I mean, yeah. I wish there was a Muppet Talmud. I would watch the shit out of that. Oh, yeah. You probably would. Yeah. I mean, you can make it. Michael, how are you? I'm feeling a wave of sass. From me? Emanating from you, yes. Oh, no, 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 oh, I'm sorry. no, never, God forbid. No, 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 first of all, no, never. And second of all, no, not now. I'm, I'm, can you hear, a, I got my, I'm sucking on a, a what's it called? A, a big old dick? A Ricola. <laughs> <laughs> which is like probably a Swedish equivalent of a big old dick. <laughs> right, a dickola. Um, you're sucking on a cough drop, healing from your mortal wound. Tiger balm is basically mm-hmm. what I'm sucking on right now. Great. No, I'm I'm coming out of a code hole. I was in a code hole after this is over. I'm going to be back in a code hole on, the, on my big secret Talmud project. I'm making a big oh, push. Oh, is that what your meeting is about today? Yes, the goal is to get version 1.0 out Wow, that's feels soon. Yeah, sometime in the early fall. Got it. That's exciting. It's going to be used by some Talmud students. Ooh, wow. When are you going to get money for this? I'm not going to get money for this. Oh, okay. There's no money in this. Got it. For some reason, I thought there was something about getting some funding or something. I don't know. I think it's just mostly because I have difficulty saying no. Ah, classic. You know, I'm excited about it, actually. And it, it is yeah. a pedagogical tool that mm-hmm. that will be out and usable by you if you want it relatively soon. Wow. That's hot. Yeah, it's hot. So that's kind of what my mind is on right now. Mm-hmm. Whole bunch of that. How have you been settling in with having your girlfriend back from L.A.? It's been good. It's been actually really good. I'm not at the apartment right now. Where are you? Are you at your parents? I'm visiting my, my folks, yes. I just told them the forbidden truth knowledge, which is that Grunge Girl is trans. Oh, how did they take that? Um, My dad was fine. My mom looked like she like swallowed a grasshopper, but she'll be fine. <laughs> At least it made her feel something. Yeah, I made her feel something, which is great. So that's my life. How are you, Hava? Uh, Bruchstam, I'm well. I have already been in my Sfara Talmud class this morning, so this is going to make for like three solid marathon hours of Talmud in a row. But that class was really good today. I've been really enjoying getting to dive into a little bit of Talmud every day and be like the student. I'm so used to being at the front of the Zoom classroom that I really like it being the student because I can just like, oh, I'll just turn off my camera and get up and walk around if I want. And as we record this tomorrow, Friday the 13th is my birthday. I'll be turning 31. And I'm really excited. 31 on the 13th. I feel like there's something there. My boyfriend is giving me my gifts tonight, which have been like sitting in our closet taunting me. I like surprises, but I don't like suspense. If I'm going to be surprised, I want you to just surprise me. I don't want you to be like, I'm going to surprise you in a week. That's true. I want to just be surprised. So it's been really hard for me not to snoop and find out what those presents are. It's been a real test of my integrity. As I think I've already said, I've been bitten by the Animal Crossing bug again. So I've been Animal Crossing all over the place. Animal Crossing Pocket Camp. Animal Crossing New Horizons. Just Animal Crossing left and right. And really enjoying that binge. What else is going on in my life? That feels like the main stuff. I'm really excited for my birthday to see my friends, one of which is you, who will be coming. That's right. And to eat a cake and to be adored. 
by all. It's going to be good. I'm excited for it. It's like the first social thing I'm going to be doing in a while and probably... And for a while. And for a while, yeah. Yeah, I agree. It is a jumping off point for me. It's sort of like, okay, I'm going to do this and then I'm going to knuckle down and return to a higher level of COVID precautions, which I'm not excited about. They brought back masking at my boyfriend's work, which they had stopped for a while but now masking and social distancing are being required out of his job again, which is interesting. Feels like a sign of the times. I really didn't want it. I, I mean, I think we all agree we didn't really want Delta to be this way, but it is. I still don't understand. Like, I don't trust the CDC. I get the New York Times, like, daily COVID information. It's, it's mostly just, like, puff garbage. Puffery. As you like to say. It's all just pooftery, really. Pooftery. <laughs> what is the risk of a breakthrough infection? I don't know. I mean, I'm certainly not qualified to answer that. But for me, hearing that they brought back masks at my boyfriend's work was a big sign for me because it's like, I don't know, a big official body. It just was like a very tangible measurable thing and i feel like i'm seeing a bunch of stuff about breakthrough infections and i feel like when covid started there was a while where i was taking precautions and i felt like the crazy one of the friend group yeah and i turned out to be like right and it was good that i made that choice so i feel like now my gut tells me like it may feel like i'm gonna feel like the crazy one again but last time that worked out pretty well Better to be too cautious, I think, than to be too libertine. I feel similarly and also feel crazy because the thing that comes to my mind is like, well, war in Iraq and like... <laughs> Bush did 9-11. Bush did 9-11. melt, COVID vaccines. Aliens, Roswell, all of right. it, you know, right. Project Blue Book. Yeah, I mean, better that your conspiracy theory should turn you into a precaution taker than an anti-vaxxer. Yeah. You know, because it could go the other way. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, well, we're really getting into the weeds here, so we probably better start talking about Talmud before we say anything more weird. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so this episode is about CIA alien cover-ups. We're going to start with... <laughs> I hope one day I can make an episode about that, but this episode is not about that. This episode is very... It's a big ramble. I'm going to say the most uniting theme is pitchforks. Okay. We're going to go all over the place and... That's fine because that's how Talmud works, and I just hope you all can enjoy the ride. That's literally my favorite type of fork. Great. Not even above bitch forks? Uh, nah, I like bitch forks, too. It's okay. There's no appropriate response. No, there is none. There is none. So we are on Sukkah 14. I found this because it was on the Dafyomi relatively recently, and I thought it was pretty interesting. So Sukkah is the Masechet that is about Sukkot, the Sukkahs and the little huts that we build during Sukkot and all of that magical, fun stuff. This is not related to that, but okay. it is that is the context in which it's occurring. I just got a video of a seagull from you. Yeah, 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 yeah. Check out that video. Well, right now? Yeah, why not? Okay. <laughs> the seagull is very poofy. Very poofy seagull. Oh. I know. Little baby. I know, such a little baby. Um, Okay. Shall we continue? Yeah, yep. Yeah. Okay, tell me more. So we begin with Amar Rabbi Elazar, Lama Nimshla Tfiletan Shel Tzadikim Ke'etel. So said Rabbi Elazar, why are the prayers, the inquiries of the Tzadikim, of the saints, the holy ones, the righteous, why are they 
like a pitchfork, which is an ether. First of all, I just want to say before we even go on that this is very funny because no one was asking this question. It's like a freaking knock-knock joke, you know, or something. Rabbi Elazar was like, hey, does everyone want to hear a joke? And everyone was like, yes. And he was like, why are the prayers of the righteous like a pitchfork? So I just really enjoy how apropos of nothing it is. So prayers of righteous are like a pitchfork. Yes. He goes on to tell us, Lomar lach so just like the pitchfork pitches things from side to side, from place to place, mm-hmm. so too the prayers of the righteous can turn the Holy One, blessed be He, a.k.a. God, from the virtue of cruelty to the virtue of mercy. Virtue of cruelty? Yes. Yeah, so this word I decided to interpret as virtue, which is midat. We have encountered before in um, different episodes on this show, there are different sugyas where we've interpreted it as measure. But oftentimes it's interpreted as virtue or it could be interpreted as attribute. A miduk, it's a very flexible term. And I chose virtue because it's the most inflammatory oh okay okay way to translate it all right that makes sense yeah so what do you think about this knowing what i know about god in tanakh you know they do have that characteristic of being turned by the righteous yeah i mean i'm thinking about moses you know trying to convince god not to destroy sodom and gomorrah there's lots of examples a lot of them i don't know yeah i mean the pitchfork It's an awkward metaphor, but I often make awkward metaphors, so, you know, it's a relatable situation. It makes sense so far. I see. I see. I I feel complicated about the idea that it is the prayers of the tzaddikim that do this, that it's the prayers of the righteous, not just prayer. You don't like the metaphysical implications of this. I'm, I'm stressed out by the metaphysical implications, and in a certain sense, they seem un-Jewish in the way that we think of Judaism now, because I think of like saints interceding on our behalf as something I associate with like Catholicism and other forms of Christianity. Mm-hmm. But this is sort of giving me a similar vibe of like the tzaddikim sort of like interceding with God to turn the attribute. Not to mention the idea that we can affect Anything God does, you know, that opens up a whole other kettle of worms. Here's the thing, Hava, you're presuming a lot. What if the next sentence in the Talmud is, oh, and by the way, the prayers of the non-righteous are also like a pitchfork? Well, uh, the next sentence in the Talmud is not that, I can definitively tell you. Oh, okay. (laughs) But you're right, I am presuming a lot. It is generally a Talmudic principle that things that are listed specifically are listed specifically for a reason. So it doesn't just say tzaddikim for nothing. All right. Okay. That's fine. Well, I don't like the metaphysical implications either. Or maybe I do. I'm not really sure. Um, yeah. I mean, it all depends on who you think it's a tzaddik, really. Yeah. In some ways, like, I, I do think there should be a nice correlation between power and uh, whatever goodness virtue. means. Jewishness is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> Right. The proof text for how this metaphor is being made comes from Genesis 25, 21, where we read, Wa'yaretal Yitzchak lamakom lenochach ishto 
כי אקרא הוא יעתר לא המקום ויתהר רבקה אשתו. The Torah verse says, Isaac pleaded with God on behalf of his wife because she was barren and the Lord responded to his plea and his wife Rivka conceived. So the language here, the first word of the verse is which means and he pleaded. Okay. And the etal is the verb that means pleaded there. And etal, if you recall, is also the same word that means pitchfork. Etel means pitchfork in our Talmud. So etal, etel, that's how we're getting our metaphor here. Because Yitzchak pleaded with God and God responded, therefore we know that the prayers of the righteous are like a pitchfork because of this word. That's neat. I feel like there's like a Mother Gaia element here, too, that I feel like all of our crystal listeners out there would really appreciate. You know, we're equating God with like the earth and farming. Yeah, there is some interesting, some very interesting stuff going on here. There's the idea that mercy is corresponding to conceiving and cruelty is corresponding to being barren. That's like a whole system of value judgments tied up there. Yeah. Yeah. Because he, right, he mm-hmm. pleads mm-hmm. and God changes Rivka from Akla, barren, to Watahar, and she conceived. I'm going to just let us keep going down this mini branching wild rabbit tunnel. And we're going to go right over to Yevamot 64a, where this story gets commented on in some really funny ways. And I'm just going to read this in English. Rabbi Yitzchak said, Isaac, our father, was infertile, as it is stated, and Isaac entreated the Lord concerning his wife. It's not stated that he entreated the Lord for his wife, but lenocha, which means concerning, which teaches that they were both infertile. So because the verse says he entreated concerning his wife and her conception, not on behalf of her, Rabbi Yitzchak is coming to say that that means that they were both infertile not just Rivka. And oh. that's we're just going to gloss because there's so much more. If so, why does the verse continue and the Lord let himself be entreated of him? It should say the Lord let himself be entreated of them because Yishak supposedly was praying on behalf of both of them. So the verse should say the Lord responded to both of them, not just to him. The Talmud answers, because the prayer of a righteous individual who is the son of a righteous individual is not similar to the prayer of a righteous individual who is the son of a wicked individual. So Rivka's father was this wicked person named Bethuel, and Yitzchak's father was a righteous person. What this Talmud is saying is the reason that God only responded to Yitzchak is because he's the righteous person who is the son of a righteous person. But if you're a righteous person but you don't have good righteous ancestry, your prayers are not like a pitchfork, apparently. Whoa, okay, okay, wow. And I know we could talk about that, but I'm not going to let us. Okay, okay. Because I have more to say. And Rabbi Yitzchak continued, for what reason were our forefathers infertile? The reason is because the Holy One, blessed be he, desires the prayers of the righteous. So he made them infertile because he wanted them to pray. Rabbi Yitzchak recapitulates this metaphor about the pitchfork and finally concludes with, Rabbi Ami said, Abraham and Sarah were originally too mean. 
aka in the Talmudic understanding of different gradations of anatomy, tumtumin are people whose sexual organs are concealed and not functional for reproduction. So Rabbi Ami is saying Abraham and Sarah were originally like Ken and Barbie doll down there. Okay, all right. Rabbi Ami goes on to prove this by saying, as it is stated, look to the rock from which you are hewn and to the hole of the pit from which you were dug, which is from Isaiah. And it is written in the next verse, look to Abraham, your father, and to Sarah who bore you, which indicates that sexual organs were fashioned for them, signified by the words hewn and dug over the course of time. Oh. So we've covered a lot of material here. Yeah. Just to summarize the bullet points. Okay, okay. We learned that Yitzhak and Rivka were both infertile. Got it. We learned that your prayers are only like a pitchfork if you are a righteous tzaddik who's the son of a tzaddik, not if you are a tzaddik who is the child of a rasha, a wicked person. Okay. We learned that Yitzhak and Rivka were infertile because God wanted their prayers. Mm -hmm. And finally, we learned that Abraham and Sarah originally had no genitalia and later had genitalia created. Now, did they have no genitalia or were the genitalia hidden? That is certainly a subject for debate, not something that I can conclusively answer based off the text. So that's a lot to respond to. I feel feel traumatized by this whole episode. Well, God wanted that so that you would pray. Did they allude to like the pitchfork is like a sexual thing? It looks like two legs and like a phallus kind of. And Weirdly, no, they do not cover that aspect of the pitchfork. Also, it is in all likelihood they had a two prong. I don't know if we're going to choose to go into this or not, but I have a thing prepared about the advent of the three pronged pitchfork. What was it like invented by Elon Musk? Um, no. <laughs> No, it became popular in Europe because of their heavier clay soils. Oh, okay. I thought maybe it was like some sort of billionaire, you know, space <laughs> race, but like prongs, adding prongs, prongs to the pitchfork. Prongs to prong race. Everyone was like, how can we make a pitchfork stronger? Like, we got to put our heads together and think about it. Wow. Okay. Pitchforks. Lots of troubling things, I guess. One is that your ancestry determines the powers of your prayer. Two is that God inflicts suffering to provoke devotion. One not disturbing and just cool thing is that Abraham and Sarah are canonically non-binary. Yep. Yeah. So that's some stuff. That is wild. There is an interesting poetics going on here where we have the creation of sex and gender for Abraham and Sarah occurs in order to make them fertile, which is just really interesting to link gender and reproduction in that way. And furthermore, that occurs through hewing or digging are the verbs that are used, which feel very related to this whole metaphor of the pitchfork breaking up the clods of dirt. I'm not sure what that poetic parallel is telling us, but I definitely feel it's there. One mystical thing I might like to suggest is that these sets of sugyas sort of reveal that we might have a similar power to Hashem in the ability to self-create our own sexes and genders via our prayers. 
Like, it mm. seems to me to indicate the possibility of gender transition via prayer. This feels like a technology of transition. Like, before there were hormones and bottom surgery and all of that, there was, like, divine transition of just, like, invoking God to be like, hey, God, I know I was born, like, in this category, but for some or other reason, I want to transition to this other category. So if you could do that, that would be great. And then God becomes like your bottom surgeon. Yeah, God is the original bottom surgeon. That I've always known. Sure, sure, sure. Yeah. That's never been in doubt for me. Hava, you're... Uh, I need to take a nap now. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I get that. I think there's a lot of like weird traumatic stuff here. And yet there's also something that's really interesting and beautiful for me to think about like the prayers of the righteous are like this object that like separates things from side to side mm -hmm. and distinguishes them in the way that the wielder wants. And similarly, our prayers like have that power to like build our world through separation and distinguishing. Pretty trippy. I'm tripped out. Yeah. Very trippy. <laughs> I'm tripping balls. All this got me thinking <laughs> about one more thing. Okay. Okay. Which would just be a shame not to mention. At the end of all of this crazy journey we've been on together, I'm left with this idea of the pitchfork as like this sort of mystical, honestly, like trans magical symbol. And that got me thinking, why does the Christian devil have a pitchfork then? And is it related? Yeah, I mean, I don't know the history of the pitchfork. And, right. And the if, if only someone had prepared it for this podcast. Oh, my God. Really? Yeah. Okay, okay. All right, all right, all right. Tell me. Tell me about the pitchfork. This is all pulled from a Reddit thread on r slash askhistorians, which you're welcome to go look it up. Basically, the deal is early medievals inherited the light scratch plow from the Romans, which is the two-prong pitchfork. But medievals in northern Europe with heavier clay soils innovated the moldboard plow to turn deeper pharaohs. So the Romans had the two-pronged pitchfork, but it was smaller for light work. And then in the West, the three-pronged pitchfork developed in the early Middle Ages. The trident was used by the Romans for fishing, but it doesn't appear to have persisted past that or made its way up to Europe where this whole devil pitchfork thing came about. Okay. So that's one thing. That's where my whole bit about the two prongs comes from. Our imagery of the war between the god and devil as battled on Earth was primarily generated by monastics in this era of the three-pronged pitchfork in Europe by Christian monastics. These monastics lived in farming communities surrounded by the sights and smells of rural life. And so when they were cognizing about how to understand how the war between the devil and God would be litigated, this user who's seems like some kind of smart guy about history on Reddit, and I tend to, to go with this reasoning, theorizes that because they were familiar with this imagery of pitchforks as a tool that was sort of separating good from bad and, you know, slinging shit all over the place, and they had this image of the devil as someone who's sort of, you know, taking souls, taking them just like a pitchfork digs into the earth. It was their natural inclination to show the devil with a pitchfork in just a very, like, true to their experience of life. In fact, this is a little bit borne out in a verse from Christian Bible in Matthew 3.12. There is a verse describing the person who's 
gathering up all these souls, whatever character you think that is, in this case, the devil, that says his winnowing fork is in hand and he will clear his threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Okay. To me, there is some connection here between the devil's pitchfork and our magical trans pitchfork in that they are both sort of different ways communities used the power of this object. They understood it as having sort of a different equivalent in the divine sense, right? Mm -hmm. They both imagined a kind of spiritual pitchfork and they imagined it doing similar work. They're just sort of like mirror images of each other. The Christian imaginary imagined this pitchfork as a tool of, you know, reckoning. Right, right. And the the Talmud imagines this metaphysical pitchfork as a tool of mercy. Yeah, yeah. I wonder what an equivalent object is now. Right, oh, right. I don't even Tinder. know. Say it again? Tinder. Tinder, yeah, Tinder, so he, I guess. He swipes to the left and he swipes to the right. How are the prayers of the righteous like Tinder? Okay, Hava, please tell me. You haven't brought another paragraph. I haven't brought anything more. That's it. I know it was a big mess. It's a great mess. I hope you could follow us on this journey. It was really fun for me. Like uh, This is probably reflected in how this podcast went, but learning all of this felt like stumbling down a rabbit hole to me. So I hope it provoked the same experience in you. And it left me with a lot of questions, more questions than answers. Wow. Okay. Well... I, uh, I guess, uh... I guess that's it, guys. Yeah, that's it. Uh, thanks for listening to us today. When you listen to this, it'll be my post-birthday weekend, so therefore still included in my birthday. So happy birthday to me. We love each and every one of you. We're so excited that we get to keep making Talmud content for you. We have some really cool stuff coming up soon, including our series, our new series with Sam Biagetti. We will see you in the funny papers. Yeah. Shibuto. Shibuto.